This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Hill and Isabel Hardman. James, today we've had an independent review's conclusion when it comes to the murder of Sarah Everard by a serving police officer. Can you tell us what the main takeaways from the report? Yes, of course. Well, we all remember the horrific kidnapping, rape and murder of Sarah Everard nearly three years ago. And what we had today was the first of a three-stage process uh, whereby Dame Elish Angelini did a update on how it's all going and sort of doing a 347-page report into the various failures of different police forces. And really what's, I think, the main conclusion is, I mean, first of all, Wayne Cousins should never have been a serving police officer, that's clear. And if you look at the report, what comes across is just how many tragic cases there were where they could have stopped him beforehand. Uh, the report concluded there were eight times he was reported to the police across three different police forces. He was working for Kent Police, the Civil Nuclear Constabulary, and then the Metropolitan Police, all of which culminated in the murder of Sarah Everard three years ago. And the, the, the main striking thing from this is about police culture, really, which is that there were three different occasions across six years when he was found to have you know, been involved in decent exposure. What's also clear from the reporters, there were four other instances of uh, previously unknown victims come forward uh, with examples of uh, of sexual harassment or sexual abuse here. And so what, what this whole report is about is examining the police culture that enabled a man like that to thrive for so long. And so this was the first stage, as I say, of three steps. And the third stage will look at David Carrick, who obviously also was involved in sex crime. And really, you know, the Metropolitan Police throughout this whole thing has said that these men were aberrations. What we're actually covering, Katie, is an example of institutional failure, just like the McPherson report examined institutional racism 20 years ago. Isabel, a lot of people who even just uh, knew the vague details of what happened here when it comes to Wayne Cousins probably already concluded he should not have been a police officer. When it comes to this inquiry, is it fair to say it's pretty damning for the Met? Yeah, absolutely. As as James said, that you know the number of opportunities that were missed, not just by all of the police forces, but by the Met, is really appalling and. You've had the response from uh, Metropolitan Police Chief uh, Sir Matt Rowley, who has has said that it's something that that should shake the the Metropolitan Police, and that that you know it was an urgent call to action, and that there had already been changes that were um, that had been made, but also represented a a call for more changes. And we had a statement from James Cleverley, the Home Secretary, in uh, the Commons earlier. On uh, this report, he described it as being deeply distressing, but incredibly important. And then I think got a quite a stern attack from uh, Shadow Home Secretary Vet Cooper, who basically said that the government's uh, response to all of this has been too little, too late. And really, if you look back over the various Commons uh, statements, urgent questions, just you know the regular Home Office questions that that we get in um, the House of Commons every four or five weeks there is a pattern of MPs from across the political spectrum asking when certain measures are going to be implemented as a result of the latest findings from you know a, a number of different reports that we've had from this inquiry as well as others and a sense that things are moving pretty slowly from the government side 
in order to, um, in terms of some of the powers that police chiefs need to get rid of uh, officers who they feel um, uh, are not uh, are not fit to serve. So I, I think that there is, there has been a sort of build up of frustration, and and this is not just from Labour about the pace at which the the government has responded to this and just to sort of widen it out a bit uh, it does take us back to the debate we've had before on this podcast about the size of the home office and the number of massive things that it is having to respond to at, at any one time there's obviously you know not just James Cleverly who's a minister in it and it is a big department with lots of people working in it but it has you know immigration illegal immigration uh, violence against women and girls policing so many different things that are all basically you know exploding at once and despite this sort of outcry of shock from the nation to this murder this has felt not to be the top priority I think in terms of the pace at which things move. And the other news today relates to what could be in next week's budget. Now so far, I think as we have covered previously on the podcast, it feels as though the hopes amongst Tory MPs that this would be a big game changer, mass tax cutting budget are probably rather wide at the mark with actually not that much space as much as at least Jeremy Hunt had wanted. But one potentially headline catching um, plan that is being discussed at least relates to non-DOM status. James, can you talk us through it? Sure. So on this podcast before, we've often said that Labour have had the great strategy of basically doing exactly what the Tories do on taxes with one or two exceptions. And those are kind of tax rises where they're incredibly popular. One example being a VAT on private schools. Another has been non-domiciled residents. And today, the Conservatives, it seems, according to reports, uh, look like to do the same thing as Labour, which is basically mimic them by raising taxes on a very unpopular target, which are non-dom residents. Now, this would, if this was introduced and uh, tax was applied on non-DOMs, people like uh, Remin Abramovich, Lakshmi Missal, are among the beneficiaries of the scheme, uh, that would raise around £3.6 And this, of course, is, as you say there, because Tory MPs want money for tax cuts and also to pay for different bits of public spending. So what the Conservatives would hope to do by this would really shoot Labour's fox by sort of nullifying a potentially popular policy and also force them to rethink their spending plans. And I was chatting to one high-profile Labour source earlier today, and they were saying to me that, you know, as a result of this, it's a very clever move. They're having to kind of rethink all of their different policies and what it all means because Labour have decided to only go for one or two really distinct areas of policy. And, you know, following the 28 billion row, I think that they might struggle a little bit to criticise the Conservatives for stealing their clothes when they've obviously done the same in the past and been willing to ditch on popular policies. And it should be worth noting, of course, that this was trailed by George Osborne, someone seen as being quite close to a lot of government thinking on his own rival podcast. Rival podcasts do exist. Uh, so it'll be interesting to I'm see. I'm not ne- sure we'd call them a rival, but um, go on, James. <laughs> um, but it, uh, uh, this, of course, course is all part of as Katie you will know uh, the, the annual ritual which is that ahead of the budget all these stories get briefed sometimes they're just flying kites others it is genuine leak so we wait to see next Wednesday when Mr Hunt stands up in the House of Commons. And Isabel on that I mean of course uh, the first thing comes that comes to mind is Rishi Sunak's wife's non-dom status and that was the big political row back when he was Chancellor where almost I think probably the first signs and the shine of brand Rishi coming off. Do you think Rishi Sunak would really be so bold as to do this? I mean, it's definitely something that over, you know, I think the past year or so, often Labour say, oh, we think the Tories are going to act non-dom status. But do you think that is something the Prime Minister would seriously consider? I mean, one of the, the reasons you might consider it might be that you don't want to increase the tax burden on anyone else. Um, <laughs> And when you've not got that much fiscal headroom, 
and when you've tried to brief as you've written Katie you know repeatedly that uh, you're going to cut taxes and then suddenly you have to perform a handbrake turn and start telling people that it's all going to be quite difficult then you can't raise taxes and raise money from general taxation in the same way because you're just going to you know, not only disappoint people by not cutting their taxes, but actually really cheese them off. So where else do you go? And if this raises, you know, there's some research from the LSE suggesting that it could raise, I think it's about £3 billion, then that's not a rounding error in Treasury terms. That's actually quite handy. And I guess also just the trying to block off a reasonably fruitful labour attack line which is they talk about non-dom tax status not just because it's sort of I don't want to say it's their magic money tree but it's definitely their um, the well from which they draw a lot of their funding promises but it's also you know their way of highlighting to voters who might not have noticed that Rishi Sunak is not just rich but sort of unimaginably wealthy fabulously so and people don't really care about that but what they do care about is the idea that someone enjoys different rules to them now obviously Rishi Sunak's wife has been paying tax since that um uh, since those revelations as you say started to um tarnish brand rishi but it it would annoy labor because it, it removes a political attack line and it then leads to questions about whether labor would have to put up taxes after the election to fund the things that they've said they'd spend this uh, non-dom tax status change on so part of it is out of necessity part of it is probably as you always get with budgets particularly ones just before an election uh, quite a lot of political game playing thank you isabel thank you james and of course we'll be with you early tomorrow to go through the results of the rochdale by-election